You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is a little different from my standard guest. Alexander McLean is founder and director of Justice Defenders. Now, Alexander dedicated his life to the welfare of prisoners and reform of the justice system in Africa and beyond. He's passionate about justice, having trained as a barrister and as magistrate in the UK courts for 10 years. He's also a senior TED fellow. Yes, like TED as in TED Talks. He's also a UK Young Philanthropist of the Year. He appeared in Time Magazine's 30 Under 30, Changing the World, and Powerlist, featuring Britain's most influential people of African or African-Caribbean heritage, and recently earned an honorary doctorate in law from the BPP. Alexander, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Laura. Thank you for your friendship and for all that you've invested in our work over the past years. It's great to be with you. Thank you. I wanted you to be here from the beginning. And we've, as you mentioned, we've known each other for how many years now? Probably five, six, something like that. We met through TED, through a TED event together back in the day. And I would love for you to start by telling people what is Justice Defenders. I mean, I gave your your brief bio there, but help us understand what is it that you're trying to do in transforming African prisons? In countries like Uganda and Kenya, there are millions of men and women and children in prison who will never meet a lawyer. Often these people spend years and years in prison without even going to court. Our mission is to defend the defenseless to ensure that before anyone is convicted or punished of an offence, they have a chance to tell their side of the story. We do this by training prisoners and prison officers as paralegals so that they can provide defence to those who have nowhere else to look. We have a community of 300 prisoner and prison officer paralegals. Last year, we worked on 10,000 cases. Wow. As a result of it, 5,000 prisoners were released from prison by the courts. That's amazing. So explain to people, how do you train prisoners and prison guards as paralegals? How does that work? Our main intervention is putting them through the University of London's law degree by correspondence. For about 150 years, the University of London has been training lawyers around the world. Nelson Mandela studied law with them from prison in South Africa. They have an incredible high-quality law degree, and we enroll prisoners and prison officers in Uganda and Kenya. So far, we've had 22 of them graduate. We've got about another 50 on the program. They're studying from death row, from overcrowded prisons. But we see in prison, there are people who are hungry to understand the law, who want to know how it can apply to their lives and to the lives of their communities. And we see our students performing incredibly well in their legal exams, whether they study in tough conditions. And as they get legal knowledge, they share it with others, work working on appeals, preparing their fellow prisoners for trial, working on their bail applications. You used a few phrases in there that I don't want to get glossed over because we have some images in our mind that, that I think need a bit of clarification as well. When you say overcrowded prisons and studying under tough conditions, what does that look like in a Kenyan or Ugandan prison? Because I think in the United States, what we think of as overcrowded or, or less than optimal conditions is probably not the same. 
So we've had to give our students flashlights to study with um, because they've not had light in their prison cells. We work in some prisons which are standing room only. Standing room only meaning what? A cell that's six foot by six foot might hold a dozen or 15 people. And you'll find that half of them stand for half the night and the other half sit, and then they swap over. Six feet by six feet. We're not talking meters. We're talking feet. No, so two feet. yards by two yards. Wow. Yeah. Or, or prisons where um, pregnant women give birth on the floor of overcrowded cells and their children don't have access to basic health care. Life is really difficult in the environment that we work in. These are prisons which don't always have electricity or um, running water. But despite these challenges, there are many prisoners and prison officers who are resilient and courageous and who want to dedicate their time in prison to serving their community and using the law to do so. Okay, so everybody out there, when you freak out because your Wi-Fi is down for a couple of hours, those are not tough conditions. We all need to take a little bit of a reality check about what some people are willing to work through. So flashlights, squatting or sitting on a floor, holding a book. So when we talk about distance learning correspondence programs, we're not talking about emailing back and forth with your professors at the university or the College of London. It's the literally paper and sending mail, physical, tangible mail with pencil writing. Is that correct? Yes, to date, everything has been. And we find that uh, many prison services around the world are a bit cautious about technology. As we've gone into this time of pandemic, uh, and it's been difficult to access prisons, we've been forced to think about how we uh, deliver uh, our work. But over the years that we've been doing it, it's all been um, hard copy, um, paper and pen. But still, we've made it work and we've seen people in prison shining. And our 22 um, graduates have gone on to teach law to others. Uh, our first prisoner to graduate has gone from being a prisoner to a prosecutor in the Ugandan army. Oh, wow. and gone on to establish anti-crime organizations. So we've seen people with lived experience of conflict with the law, using the law in incredible ways to bring hope and justice to their communities. That's it's amazing. So, all right. Well, with all that as context, I'm going to transition a little bit and go to my my official question number one, and this, I think you've, you've touched on quite a bit of it, but now everybody's going to be really excited to hear specifically, who do you need to influence to do all of this? There are many opportunities to influence in this work. As you've uh, explored, this isn't typical uh, work. It's not very easy to understand. Uh, to do it, we need to influence those in the legal communities that we're part of, uh, judges and lawyers. We need to influence uh, funders. Uh, we have support from some very successful tech entrepreneurs, those who've done incredibly well in business. Uh, we have support from foundations like the Queen's Commonwealth Trust. Over the last few years, I, I met the Queen and Prince Harry and other members of the royal family on um, various occasions. I've had a chance to meet with President Obama and with other um, presidents. I've often been able to give uh, talks on the TED uh, stage. We've been invited to present at the UN. I've had a chance to meet Ban Ki-moon, the former UN Secretary General. One of the joys and privileges of this role for me is that I get to share my life and influence people from the widest variety of backgrounds you can imagine. But I think that as human beings, we have a shared commitment to justice and we want to live in societies which feel safe. And that's so timely today, the idea of how do we live in communities where we can all feel safe and who do we need to influence and how to make that happen for everybody. So this is going to possibly be somewhat redundant or a state question of the obvious, given that you, you know, on the UN stage, on TED stages, et cetera. But at the moment, What's one of your biggest challenges in communication? We're receiving invitations from all over Africa and beyond to scale our work. We know that globally there's a hunger for justice and there's a justice gap. 
which is the gap between people who are um, in positions where they need access to lawyers and those who actually have access to them. And as we get invitations from uh, new countries each week, we're asking, what does it look like to go to scale? We have our model. We've seen great results. But, but how do we respond to these invitations? And we're trying to understand how we uh, more effectively influence those who have experience of developing companies and take them to scale, who could be our uh, funders as we do this, this work. And understanding how we make work, which is uh, in Africa primarily, far removed from those who have the resources to fund it, um, relevant, mm. and how we bring it to life, and how we humanize a group of people who are often dehumanized. Yes. So what's a specific communication skill that you had to develop yourself in order to be able to do all of this? I think the ability to tell stories and to tell stories of human beings, uh, which can make work which is otherwise complicated. And I think that often the law is talked about in a way that can be inaccessible for the average person to understand. Mm. Uh, so we're using storytelling as a means of creating bridges between those immersed in the legal world and those who um, have very little to do with it. And understanding what it looks like as someone uh, who's trained as a lawyer, who's used to going into that level of minute detail, to lift up a level and to communicate with greater um, simplicity and recognizing that my audience doesn't necessarily have the same level of experience um, that my colleagues and I have. And that's rightly so because we want to build bridges to many different sectors. Sure. That uh, sounds like what I refer to as overcoming the expert's curse, where you've got so much training, so much expertise, your, your law degree, et cetera. So you learn to think and to speak in a certain way that the average people don't necessarily speaking, right? The, the legalese, et cetera, which I think is somewhat universally incomprehensible to the average person, certainly is for me in many ways. Yeah. I had to overcome the same thing as well coming out of academia and learning just to speak like a regular person as opposed to the, the professorial academic researcher of sorts. So uh, congratulations to you for figuring out how to reach so many hearts and minds for, to be able to convert that way. In the process What's a mistake you made or a lesson that you had to learn the hard way? I think that I'm learning to let go of my agenda. Uh, I think that um, having spent time in uh, more than 100 prisons around Africa and around the world and seeing things which have broken my heart again and again and again, I've developed a tremendous passion. It's important for me to remember that many people have never thought about the, the kind of issues that I'm addressing. And if I go into conversations, just knowing what I want to get across, just knowing what my strategy is, but not meeting the other person where they are, not listening mm -hmm. deeply. So I hear the concerns that they raise about our work or their uncertainty and respond to them uh, effectively. So I'm trying to be more open handed um, as I meet new people and to listen really deeply rather than to go in with a set script or just knowing the points I have to force through. And finally, that magic can happen when I go into conversations with open hands. So is there a specific time you can think of where you went in a little too agenda-driven and it didn't go the way you wanted? Yes, it's happened often. I think about um, meeting the heads of one of the um, world's biggest law firms. And I had a very clear um, agenda in terms of a project that I wanted to um, secure um, funding for. It raised some concerns with the person I was meeting with, uh, especially in terms of the way that we'd be engaging with prisoners uh, in it. It was a first meeting. And I think that I 
rather than taking time to listen deeply to what his concerns were and what his um, priorities were. When it came to the firm's philanthropy, I went in rigid and there was a missed opportunity. Later on, we were able to build a relationship with that firm, but I think it's beautiful to co-create. And I think that there are very often opportunities to co-create solutions and to dream together and to get deep buy-in from the person that we're with by doing so. But it means being flexible and letting aspects of our own agenda slide. Yes. So you got the do-over that you needed to go back and later on build those relationships. That's great. Not everybody gets that opportunity. Then what's next? What's next for you or for the Justice Defenders? And what will you need to develop communication-wise to what skills to be able to achieve it? Our goal is to help a million defenseless people get fair hearings by 2030. Wow. A million people who don't have access to lawyers when they go to court to, to understand what's happening there and to be able to defend themselves effectively. It's an audacious goal. And we're really under, trying to understand how do we engage the media to tell these unexpected stories of hope and bright legal minds in unexpected places. We've had opportunities recently to interact with some fascinating journalists from the likes um, of the New York Times and the BBC, or I spent time with Anderson Cooper and understanding how do we frame our work in a way that has broad appeal? How do we take issues which seem niche and far removed and for many of the people that we want to influence and help them to understand actually it's very relevant for them and the issues that we're talking about of justice um, are more relevant than ever uh, as we live in this global community and we've seen during a time of pandemic how something that's an issue thousands and thousands of miles from home can quickly become relevant much closer to home. And want to make it clear that yeah. one of the names that you referenced in there was Anderson Cooper. That's an upcoming episode, which tell everybody which show it is. Uh, we're excited to be on 60 Minutes in the coming season. Uh, it's been wonderful spending time with Anderson and with the 60 Minutes uh, team. And we're excited to use this as a chance to tell our story to an American audience. Do you have a date for that show yet? No, it'll be sometime before Christmas, but we don't have the precise date yet. But we're very excited for it. At the end, of course, we'll give links of where people can go to learn more about the organization and uh, to find out, to, to keep in touch and and uh, keep tabs on when that show will air. But if nothing else, people can check out 60 Minutes and just be mindful of looking for the Justice Defenders episode, which I think will be amazing. I can't wait to see it myself. Then this is going to bring us to the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge. This is your chance to challenge the audience, challenge everybody out there to take one step that they can complete within the next 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our audience today? I imagine that many of you are like me. You've got family commitments. You've got a lot of people who are reporting to you. You've got competing demands at work. And it can be difficult to balance all of the things which are requiring your time. Your days can be heavily scheduled and you can go from one thing to the next to the next without pausing to catch your breath. My challenge is over the 24 hours to try and live more slowly and to spend more time listening than you do speaking. And as you go into each conversation, to pause, to really look at the person you're meeting with and to understand what's going on with them and where you have opportunities to go uh, deeper, to go below the, the surface. There's a poem written by a nun called Sister Odette, which has spoken to me powerfully in this way about slowing down and really being present to the conversation that we're having, the interaction that we're having this moment. And uh, I share it with you uh, now as it's spoken to me, especially during this time of pandemic. It says, live today's day. God gives it to you. It belongs to you. Live it in God. Tomorrow's day belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. Do not impose today's worry upon tomorrow. Tomorrow belongs to God. Hand it over to him. 
The present moment is a frail footbridge. If you wear it down with yesterday's regrets, tomorrow's anxiety, the footbridge gives way and you lose your footing. The past, God forgives it. The future, God gives it. Live today's day in communion with God. So I invite you, regardless of how the past days or weeks have been, and regardless of your fears or uncertainty about the future, to see how in these 24 hours to come, you can just be present with the person you're meeting with at work or in your home, and how you can ask questions to understand what's really going on with them and to connect at a deeper level. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing both the challenge and the poem. Who was the author again? Sister Odette Provost, she was a nun who was murdered in Algeria in the 1990s, and this was found on her body when she was killed. Oh, wow. Okay. So to Sister Odette, thank you for that beautiful poem. This brings us to the next part of the interview, which is about guiding others on the journey. What is your definition of executive presence or command presence, leadership presence, and how do you recognize it in others? My leadership style is far from command and control. I like ideas relating to servant leadership and enabling others. When I lead a group or lead a meeting or as I lead my organization, I'm looking to push forward others and to hear from a diverse group and to make sure that especially those who are new or less confident have an opportunity to shine. When it comes to those that um, I identify for leadership positions, those who I want to work with closely, I'm looking for those who can build bridges, who have an adaptable communication style, who are as comfortable speaking to a prisoner on death row as they would be speaking to a multimillionaire funder or a member of the uh, House of Lords. I'm looking for those who can listen deeply and who can speak slowly, recognizing that our work um, requires a lot of explaining to many people. And we're in the business of trying to create unlikely allies for a community that's often overlooked. So I need to make sure that every member of my staff has an ability to be a bridge builder. I need to work with people who are as comfortable communicating with a prisoner on death row as they are with a multimillionaire funder with a member of the House of Lords. I need to work with those who have emotional intelligence. We're in the business of trying to win people over to a cause and to join a community that many people wouldn't consider being part of, to become involved in work, which many people consider not to be sexy. It means that each of my staff members needs to be able to listen deeply to understand where people have concerns or reservations about joining us and to patiently and authentically educate a diverse audience. That's a long list of, of critical skills for somebody to have, to say the least. What's a red flag? What's a red flag that could be a career derailer for them? I really struggle with impatience. Uh, we're running a marathon, not a sprint doing this work. When it comes to working for more fair, just societies, change takes time. When it comes to engaging deeply with legal systems, there aren't as many quick wins as you might hope. And so I need people with resilience, with stamina, with staying power, those who are um, able to withstand setback after setback to pick themselves up and to continue with uh, optimism uh, and hope. That brings me to what I like to call my pet peeve question. With regard to managing up, when for the people who report up to you, who need to bring information to you, what do you wish they would do differently? As much as it's necessary sometimes for us all to have a space to vent, it frustrates me when I become a dumping ground. Mm. Um, I'm very happy for people to bring their problems to me, but I always say, come with the ideas for the solution as well, because you're the one who's best placed to solve the issues that you've identified. And what I want to do is to hear the solutions you're proposing, and then to back you in executing the solution that you've identified. And so my hope is that people will pause, 
think, reflect, and then bring the problem to me when they've got an idea for how to resolve it. Yes, yes. Time for the speed round. And these are issues that many people tend to look at erroneously as a black or white, either or kind of binary. I am this or I'm not that. And very commonly, they feel like they're the only people struggling with these issues, not realizing that others do too. And they may look at somebody like you and say, oh my gosh, you've built so much, you've done so much. You must have just been born charismatic and brilliant and perfect and not have had any challenges along the way. And I, I think it's a good opportunity to allow people to see that they're not the only ones who struggle with these things and that everyone has strengths at the same time that can be tapped into. So for each of these items, I'm going to ask you to give me initially a single word or phrase where you land on each of these issues. And then I'll prompt you with an opportunity to give a bit of additional insight or advice to clarify from there. So Great. first, public speaking. You certainly do a lot of it, but inherently, do you love it or hate it? I love it. And then what is, did you always love it or have you learned to love it? Since I was very small, probably four or five, I was given opportunities to do public speaking, to be in school plays. I think it's a real gift to have a captive audience and to be able to um, have some minutes to, to influence them. It's always been fun for me. What's one tip you can give people to speak with confidence? To look back on past experiences where you've been uncertain or nervous and you've managed to get through it and to allow that to sustain you for what you're going into. So often I'd look back on my wedding day and think about making my wedding vows and how nervous I felt, but I did it. Or I'll think about a time when I spoke to an audience that was different or felt particularly powerful or having a conversation with the queen when I felt really nervous, but I got through it. And so look back on those milestones in your life and allow them to sustain you for the future. Nice. Would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? An extrovert. Then what's one related strength of being an extrovert and what's one related area for growth? I love speaking to people and I can have a wonderful conversation with almost anyone, anywhere, a bus driver, waiter. It's very easy for me to make friends and to often connect quite deeply. A challenge of it is that I can get sidetracked. And so sometimes we've been hosting events as an organization for our funders. And I've ended up speaking to one donor or one guest for almost half of the evening because I go so deep. And it's very difficult once I get into a conversation for me to refocus. And I'm trying to learn how to spread my attention better and to go deep, but also in a way that manages time. Then lastly, let's talk about conflict, handling conflict regardless of the fact that we all have to do it at some point or other, is your internal gut reaction when faced with a difficult conversation either that you need to initiate or perhaps that someone brings to you, is your natural instinct to want to avoid it or to address it head on? I hate conflict. So would avoid it if at all possible? Yes. Then if that's the case, what is one piece of advice you can give to others about handling conflict if there are reflexes like yours? I'm starting to learn very gradually that conflict can be a real gift. And the cost for me of not having those difficult conversations, of not raising difficult issues, is that I can become resentful or I can get frustrated. And I think that I'm flagging something, especially at an early stage, and creating an opportunity to talk it through can often result in relationships which are much stronger in increased levels of trust can create opportunities to connect in a way that I found isn't possible if I just sweep conflict aside and end up becoming a bit more superficial than I'd like to be. Terrific. Alexander, how can more people learn about you and the Justice Defenders? Our website is justice-defenders.org. 
please have a look at it. We've got a lot of videos and great content about our work. Please have a look out for us in uh, 60 minutes in the um, coming period. We're very um, excited to have a newly registered US 501c3 and to be um, engaging with American supporters. It's been a privilege for me to have a chance to speak at Harvard and at Stanford and um, some other incredible US institutions. And I love America and Americans. And we're looking forward to building our footprint there. My mum worked for United Airlines for many years. So I've been to America 50 or 60 times. Oh, nice. Uh, it's a wonderful place. And I, I'm glad to have a professional connection now too. That's terrific. Thank you so much, Alexander, for being on today. Again, everybody, I really want to encourage you to take a look at it. It was justice-defenders.org. As I mentioned, Alexander and I have worked together for many years. And every time we talk, I am inspired in a new way by the kind of work that they're doing and the progress that they make and the stories that not only he has to tell, but that the people who either are that were inmates, who are now paralegals, who are getting other law degrees and other academic and professional training opportunities and the services that they are then going back and providing to others. I've probably worked with maybe a dozen, 15 people from, from the organization over the years and just the stories that, I mean, I help a lot of people tell stories, but not many leave my jaw on the ground as I'm trying to help them tell them in a way that will really be both inspirational and relatable uh, to people. And it's constantly amazing to me what you were doing. So thank you for the service that you provide. And I really do hope that we can all help to ensure that what you are doing currently concentrated in African prisons does become a model for prison reform the world around. So uh, if any of you are looking for something really inspiring to get involved in, uh, please do consider the Justice Defenders. With that, I want to thank you again, Alexander, for joining Listeners, thank you for tuning in once again. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you'd like to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, please go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sakola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. Your advice is to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.